0: intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine (laughs) if it's that time and get ready for the intermittent fasting podcast. Hi friends, super exciting announcement. Berberine subscriptions are here and this is your chance to get grandfathered in to a massive discount for life. Berberine is an incredible supplement that I love and which is amazing, especially for this audience. It is a plant alkaloid that has been used for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, and it rivals the effect of metformin when it comes to blood sugar control. That's right. If you're looking to take charge of your blood sugar levels, berberine can be an incredible tool in your arsenal to help achieve that. I have noticed huge differences on my CGM, my continuous glucose monitor, when I take berberine. I've personally seen a 20-point drop in my postprandial blood sugar levels when I take brain and it's not just me friends have told me that you guys in the audience have told me that influencers have reported that back it truly is incredible and it's not just blood glucose control Berberine has so many other potential health benefits. It can help modulate inflammation, beneficially affect cholesterol levels, support the gut microbiome, and even activate the longevity pathway, AMPK. That's something that we talk a lot about with fasting specifically. Berberine can actually help do that as well. It took quite a while to bring it to market because we couldn't find a berberine source that tested for all of the purity and potency that we wanted. We finally did find a source. That's the one that you get in Avalon X. It's tested multiple times for purity and potency and to be free of all common allergens as well as heavy metals and mold, which you guys know is so important to me. So if you'd like to have berberine in your daily life and help save money as well as be more sustainable for you and the planet, you need a subscription. It helps reduce packaging and shipping energy. And ultimately we want to create it all in one large bottle like we did recently with my serrapeptase supplement. But here's the thing. We want to make sure that we give you guys the right amount of capsules, perfect for you. So we are doing a special subscription launch where you guys can actually choose between two different options, two bottles every two months or two bottles every three months you will get grandfathered into a 22% off discount for life as long as you keep the subscription active. So now is the time to grab the subscription. And then based on how that goes, whichever is more popular, the two bottles every two months or the two bottles every three months, that will help us decide which type of subscription to launch when we do the large bottle. So this is your chance to snag an incredible discount on Avalon X Berberine 500 and help us figure out what you guys really want in the future with the large bottle option. This is live now and ends July 17th, so snag this deal while you can. That's at AvalonX.us. And to stay up to date on all of the latest specials and discounts, definitely get on my email list. That's at avalonx.us email list. And you can get text updates and a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Of course, you can always use the coupon code Melanie Avalon site-wide to get 10% off all of my products, as well as all of the products from my fantastic partner, MDLogic Health. So again, grab that Burberry subscription, let us know what you want, get grandfathered end to an incredible discount for life and take charge of your blood
1: sugar control. All right, now back to the show. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends. Now back to the show.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 263 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen?
2: Well, this is kind of an exciting date, if you think about it, this podcast that's coming out today. The day it's coming out is May 2nd of 22. Our very first podcast came out the beginning of May in 2017. So we've crossed the 5-year mark.
0: Do we ever figure out what day it was exactly? It was
2: the very first Monday of May, whatever that was, of 2017. Yeah, so if we go
0: back, can you Google like a
2: specific day like first I mean I have my calendar, right? here. I'll just look at that. So if I go back, yeah, May 1st, it was May 1st. So we have crossed the five-year mark. I think that's pretty remarkable. And I also see that May 1st of 2017 was a jeans day at my elementary school. So that was very exciting. I had it recorded in my calendar. We got to wear jeans days. Oh Lordy.
0: I was actually thinking about that because how long were you a teacher before you weren't a teacher when we were recording?
2: Well, I retired in 2018, so I taught for one more full year after we started the
0: podcast, one more full year. Because what I was thinking about was like, I don't really remember that experience of recording with you while you were teaching still. Yeah,
2: it was a lot because I, you know, I taught five days a week. And I also taught gifted endorsement classes after school on Monday and Tuesday. I mean, I was like working so hard, like all that, like I was working constantly. We recorded on Sundays because
0: that was really the only time I could do it. Yeah, I definitely remember when you switched to not being a teacher, and you're not not like an identity crisis, but you were like, like it was such a different experience of your life.
2: Well, it was huge because you know I thought about it. I was in school or teaching school from the time I started kindergarten until I retired in 2018. So there was never a time of my life that I was not on a school schedule. Even in college, of course, that schedule is slightly different, but you're still on a school schedule. But then it was after I retired, you know, the spring of 2018, it was May was when the school year ended. And that was when I could start intermittent fasting stories, you know, because I didn't have time to record with <laughs> People, I barely had time to record with you. But we have crossed the five-year mark, so that just feels like something we
0: should celebrate. It's so weird for me to think about with me because I was like working the serving job and everything. Like It was just such a completely different experience of life back then.
2: Things were very, very different. I very much had to live my life around being at work at 745 and five days a week. So, you know, and it's I still think like a teacher. Like right now we're recording this. It's Master's Week in Augusta. So all the the teachers have had the last week off. And they're going back to work next week. And I still think about that. And I'm so grateful to have, you know, to be self-employed is such a different kind of thing. You know, thank you for all the teaching me how to podcast.
0: Thank you for podcasting with me for five years. Oh my goodness, that's crazy.
2: Half a decade. And we didn't have an ad for the whole, like, when did we get our first ad?
0: Like the first few years of the show was when I was moving a lot. You sure were. You were moving a lot. I was moving and had my serving job and then the podcast. So I basically, I like remember myself as like serving and like, where was I living? And so I remember that first ad we booked, I was in in LA, I think. It would have been 20... 18.
2: Yeah, I don't think we had an ad till 2018.
0: I was so excited.
2: It really was. <laughs> I was at a conference this week. It was a virtual conference this weekend. And, you know, someone was talking about starting a podcast. It was the guy who has an entrepreneur podcast, and he has it seven days a week. He's like, I recommend you do it seven, have seven episodes a week. I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. No. Wait, sorry,
0: that just happened?
2: Yeah, it was yesterday. I was at this virtual conference, and... And someone in the chat, because it was on Zoom, someone in the chat was like, you know, how profitable is a podcast? And I'm like, well, give yourself a year to make zero at least. You know, people don't want to hear that. You have to really put in the time.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, happy half a decade anniversary. The day that this comes out, we will have just crossed it. Wow. I wonder how many listeners have listened to every single episode. Now that would be interesting. Since the beginning. Well, I don't know. I don't even remember how many listeners we had back then. I don't either. I don't know. I do think it went up pretty fast. Yeah. Like a lot of people started listening.
2: And that was the the genius of how we named it. That was the smartest thing we ever did was name it Intermittent Fasting Podcast. We had a lot
0: of like pun names.
2: Yeah, little cutesy names that we were throwing around. And I'm like, wait, you know, I don't know about any of these. And we're like, let's just do Intermittent Fasting Podcast. And that really has helped people find it. Especially now, anybody who's thinking about starting a podcast, there are so many podcasts. I know.
0: It's a bit overwhelming.
2: Yeah. And so many that are great. I know. But but think about this. How many podcasts, uh, besides the guy who had put out seven a week because, oh, Lord have mercy, like I said, but how many podcasts never take a break, never replay, never have a hiatus? We just, we put out an episode every single week
0: for five years now. I was thinking about that too this week, actually. I was thinking about how we've never, because a lot of shows will air an old episode. Like a filler. hmm And I was thinking how we haven't done that. And I was thinking like, would I ever do that in any situation? I mean, I know recently this week on Peter Atiyah's show, he aired- an episode with a, a woman who was pretty big in the low carb world who passed away. So he aired it like in honor of her. Oh, like a memorial. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was thinking about my show and I was like, oh, would that be something I would do if that happened on that show? But um yeah. Hopefully you'll never have
2: to answer that question about someone passing away.
0: Well, listeners, thanks for being
2: here. Yeah, and if you've been around for five years plus listening to every episode, I know there are people that have listened to every one. People who like binge listen, but I don't know if they started back there in May of 2017 (laughs) because that was a long time ago. I feel like a whole different person now.
0: Oh, I do for sure in a good way. Well, I'm so grateful for the show.
2: Me too. It's been a great ride. And the listeners... And seriously, if it hadn't been for you, I would. <laughs> I'm sure I would not have any podcasts because. Huh. Well, likewise, I still think the funniest thing is when you got kicked out of my group. Yes, not by me. I just have to say that it was my moderators. I don't know for anyone who hasn't heard the story. It's been a long time since we talked about it. It was back when I did have two Facebook groups. I had the one meal a day group. And I had the Delay Don't Deny group, just those two. And the One Meal a Day group was by far the biggest. It probably had, I don't know, 4,000 members at the time, which sounded so big to me then. Delay Don't Deny had barely been out and because it came out at the very end of 2016 into 2017. So it was probably, was it like April, March or April of 2017? You made a post in the group that said, hi, I'm an author
0: of... Okay, okay, Let me let me... <laughs> So, okay, so I really wanted to start a podcast. So I was like, I need a co-host. How do I find a co-host? And so I was Googling the Facebook groups for intermittent fasting. That blows my mind. So it was only around 4,000 members?
2: Something like that. I can't believe it was much more than that. Because when I wrote Delay Don't Deny, I think it had like 3,500. But it was the largest one meal a day group. It was the only one meal a day group, really, for a long, long time. And
0: so I was like, I really want to find a co-host. The important thing about the post I made was my goal with the post, I wanted people to know that I wasn't just like some... Right, you wanted to establish credibility. Yeah, I wanted to establish credibility, but I also didn't want to seem like I was promoting my book. I don't remember the exact post, but I didn't even put the link to my book in the post. I said I had a book coming out, but I wasn't putting it in the link because I didn't want to make it seem like this was self-promotion. Like, so I was like, how do I do this so that I establish credibility, but I make it super clear that I'm not trying to self-promote and it still completely failed. Like they kicked me out. One of the moderators,
2: they're like, I just removed this girl. I'm like, what? And then I was like, oh, let me, and then I, I think I messaged you <laughs> and I'm like, hey, sorry about that. The moderators thought you were in there because people would all the time come in and try to self-promote stuff,
0: you know? Yeah. It completely makes sense. But it's just funny that I tried so hard to like not do that and- it failed. Yeah, those moderators, they were very
2: protective, and I appreciate them so much because they were like, "You're not today, Melanie Avalon. Shut down. I was wondering if that post is still there and archived. No. Well, I mean, I guess it could be. I don't know. Can you search through old posts? I don't go to Facebook anymore. I haven't been on Facebook. I mean, can a person? Like, can I? Oh, yeah. It's archived. So the the group is archived, so it's like frozen in time, and nobody can go in and put like mad face emojis or comments. But you can go in and search. You can't join. Well, I don't think you can join it. the The regular delayed on deny group. I think the moderators. There's still a few moderators who are letting people join, but you can't do anything. We're not. You know, that one's not archived, but it's not active either. But you can still search it. That was a long time ago, but it really, you know, five years. Is not a long time, but it is a long time. I know. Yeah. Anyway, so much has changed, but thankful for the journey.
0: Likewise. Anything new going on with you? Not really. Just finishing up the magnesium specs, finishing up the artwork for my EMF locking device, launching the subscriptions for Serapeptase, prepping the other shows. So... All good things. (laughs) How about you? Well,
2: not much. Just still doing some packing, getting ready to make the move, not sure what the timeline's going to be, that sort of thing. There's a lot going on. Master's week is ending, like I said, so that's when the real estate market picks back up in Augusta. So fingers crossed, we will sell our house soon. (sighs) Ready to sell it and get, get going very exciting. It's a great house. Someone's got to love it as much as we did. I never thought I'd leave. The only thing that could get me out of here is going to the beach. So I'm really looking forward to, to being there all the time. Like today would be a beautiful day to go to the beach if I was at the beach. But And you guys really fixed it up, right? The house. Yeah, we did. I mean, it's a, it's a house that was built in 1979. We didn't do everything that could have been done to it, of course. You know, I'm also the kind of person that doesn't think every house has to match the year trends. You know what I mean? Like this is a house that was built in 1979. The kitchen does not look like 2022. It's a beautiful kitchen, it's a quality kitchen, but it's not like updated. What about the appliances and stuff? The appliances are really great. They're um KitchenAid professional appliances, like built in, so they're, you know, like a, a they're all good appliances. They're not brand new. But they're not like old appliances. It's like a you know, a gas range that's built. I mean a gas stovetop that's built in and a microwave. You don't look at them and think they look old.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know anything about house trends. Well, I watch a lot
2: of HGTV, but <laughs> but the thing about house trends is they really do come and go. And you can't, you know, remodel your house every five years. So eventually you get to the point where you want more of a timeless look that isn't going to like date it.
0: When I build my dream house, it's like my goals, my my visualizing, it's going to be a biohacker house. So I don't think it'll be any trends. It'll be like the biohacker trends.
2: I did not know you wanted to do that. Oh, really? You know, you've never mentioned that to me. Now, where will it be? Where is your biohacker house going to be?
0: Probably in like Calabasas in, L- in LA or something. It's going to be so great. <laughs> it's going to have like, Well, lots of natural light and stuff, but like controllable light. So like you push the buttons and the the things adjust, like the windows. You can make it completely black. Oh, yes. I was just at a beautiful home.
2: I stayed with somebody and it was the most beautiful home ever, but it didn't have any blinds on the windows. And I was like, is there a way I can? They're like, nope. And I'm like, okay. They just don't want them. They just didn't have blinds on the windows, but it was like really, you know, really bright because the moon was out. Anyway, I like a very dark room. I do too. Although I would love a, like a sky window, a skylight kind of a thing. Yeah. Just,
0: you want to be able to close it. Mm-hmm. Right. So like my bedroom will have to be like a skylight window that closes, but then I got to mitigate all that EMF. So I have to figure that out. It's going to be crazy. And I, and I want a cryotherapy chamber. <laughs> well, that doesn't
2: surprise me at all. Goals <laughs> and a sauna, a big sauna. I know you'll have that
0: mm-hmm. and a cold plunge. But definitely hardcore with the EMF mitigation and like grounded. Like I, I want the whole floor to be like grounded. Well, I think that's really smart. So just putting it out there. This is a, a while's away, obviously. But
2: <laughs> well, I can't wait. That's going to be cool.
0: You can come visit. All right. It'll be super fun. Oh, I have one sort of, this is super random, but I'm always like looking up random studies and I don't know how I found this one, but I thought it was really fun. And I thought we could play the guessing game really quick. Okay. The title is Associations Between Liking for Fat, Sweet, or Salt, and Obesity Risk in French Adults, a Prospective
2: Cohort Study. Are you going to need to read that one more time, me not being an auditory learner? Say it one more time.
0: Associations Between Liking for Fat, Sweet, or Salt, and Obesity Risk in French Adults. Okay.
2: So it's whether people prefer
0: salty, sweet, or what was the third? Salt or fat. Salt, fat, or sweet. And how it relates to obesity risk. And so this was okay, over five years among 24,776 French adults, they basically took a questionnaire about their likings. And then also each year for five years, they collected their like their body weight data and stuff. So the question is: what do you think for each of them? How do you think the flavors Related to obesity. We can go through them one by one. But so it either was linked to an increased risk of obesity, a decreased risk, or no association.
2: All right. Well, I would predict that
0: fat was linked to an increased risk of obesity. Okay. So that is correct. And do you think it was more in men or women? Oh, I don't know. I didn't know we were gendering it too.
2: (laughs) I would predict that would be men and women.
0: Yes. Correct. Women, it was 52% and men, it was 32%.
2: 52% what?
0: More likely to be obese? It says dietary intake explained 32% in men and 52% in women of the overall variation of liking for fat and obesity. Does that sound like it was a stronger correlation in women? Yeah. Okay. How about sweet?
2: You know, I'm going to say... That it did not have an association with obesity.
0: Sensory liking for sweet was associated with a decreased risk of obesity.
2: See, I'm not surprised. That would absolutely run contrary to like the conventional wisdom as as fat is your friend and sugar is the reason everyone is fat. But I also think, I've said this before, a lot of people falsely associate things as being carbs or fat. Like they think that like French fries are carbs when really they're very high fatty and high carb. I think people are just really confused. They're like, see, I can't eat French fries. Carbs make me gain weight. But French fries are not just carbs. Anyway, that that's what I think a lot of the confusion comes from, that a lot of the food that's ultra processed or like, you know, quote, junk food, is like lumped in the carbs category when they're not just carbs. Exactly. Because I think of people who really are, are looking for a sweet taste You know, they're probably looking for like, they're probably people who eat a lot of fruit, for example.
0: Yeah. Today's
2: episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is excited to offer members a new way to explore their interests with the new Plus Catalog. This holiday season will certainly be more special than last. It's finally time to gather together and exchange thoughtful gifts with the people you care about. In the midst of all the holiday excitement, Think about giving yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the absolute best time to do it with a special offer of 60% off your first three months. With Audible, you can listen to more of whatever you're into because Audible has it all. An unbeatable selection of audiobooks, tons of binge-worthy podcasts, and exclusive originals, all available to download or stream. Here's what you get. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month, like the latest bestseller or hottest new release, yours to keep forever. You can listen to Melanie's book, What, When, Wine, or either of my books, Delayed, do Deny, or Fast, Feast, Repeat. And coming January 4th, you can listen to Cleanish. Here's the best part. You also get full access to Audible's streaming library, the plus catalog, discover your next podcast obsession, check that audiobook off your bucket list, or get lost in a world of original content from celebrity creators, best selling authors, and leading experts. The kind of stuff you can't hear anywhere else. Stream all you want, as much as you want. No matter where you're going or what you're doing this holiday season, you'll always have just the right thing to listen to at your fingertips. Now that I'm doing a lot of driving to the beach and back, Audible is the perfect companion for each trip. There's so much to choose from that I will never be done finding great options. Right now, for a limited time, save 60% on your first three months of Audible. That's only $5.95 a month. Give yourself the gift of listening. For more, go to audible.com slash ifpodcast. That's audible.com slash ifpodcast. Or you can text ifpodcast to 500, 500 for 60% off your first three months. That's definitely a gift
0: you'll love to give yourself. And now back to the show. And also, actually, if you think about it more, so let's say, let's say even this is completely just me like hypothesizing. So this is not (laughs) super scientific, but let's say we have two groups of people that are following a standard American diet. They are eating processed foods, but one likes more fatty and one likes more sweet. So in that situation, it's possible if they're both eating processed foods, it's possible that the group that's eating, that likes fat is gonna be eating the fattier processed foods. So they're both gonna be in this state of, Food that is metabolically not healthy, but probably the high fatty stuff is going to just be a higher caloric load overall and more more calories that are very easily stored as fat.
2: Well, I also think about myself, and I'm someone who definitely it's the fat that I like. Like, for example, I don't want to eat plain fruit. I want to eat ice cream. <laughs> you know, I want my sweet to have a the the creaminess of the fat with it, too. Or, you know, the the fat from the ice cream. So... Like, I totally get the fatness for even even the sweet things I want are fat sweet,
0: right? Not low fat sweet. And what about salt?
2: I'm going to say that has no
0: correlation at all. No significant association between salt liking and the risk of obesity.
2: I like salty fatty (laughs) and I like sweet fatty. And I mean, I know that. And I was obese. So that's why it doesn't surprise me at
0: all. So we can put a link to that in the show notes, but I just thought it was a sort of fun, fun study. I liked it. And I'm so proud of myself for guessing it right. It's hard to go back and wonder what you would have guessed, but I, okay. For fat, I probably would have thought increased. For sweet, I don't think I would have guessed decreased, but I might've guessed no association like you did. And for salt, I probably would have said.
2: I thought I said decrease for sweet. Or not uh, not associated. Okay. I didn't, uh, that's what I meant. I meant it was not, okay. Yeah. So there's decreased and then there's like no association, which are different. Right. The salt, I clearly said no association, but I meant for sugar, the opposite. I didn't say it very well. Not associated with obesity. I meant
0: associated the other way. Anyway. Yeah. What's interesting. So prior to reading Rick Johnson's Nature Wants Us to Be Fat and David Perlmutter's Drop Acid, I would have said salt was no association. But after reading their books, I should actually, I'm friends now with Rick. I should send him this study. Now, after reading their books, they make a case that salt, actually, they they reference a lot of studies where salt links to obesity. So that's interesting.
2: Again, though, I think it's hard to untangle it from what you're eating. Like, if you're eating French fries, you might think that it's the salt, but it's really the fat. And I mean, you know? I just think it's hard to untangle. The, the study that you were talking about, if I am correct, it was people who said what their preference was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Ra- oh, yeah. Rather than what they're actually
2: eating, right? Like, they, like, I can hone in on the fact that I like fatty, tasty things. Whether it's a sweet, fatty thing or a salty, fatty, fatty thing, I know that I need the butter, I need the sour cream, I need the whatever. So I think that's probably a big
0: variable. Like this says that previous studies have shown that subjects with high fat liking have higher fat intake, but also lower intake of nutrient-dense foods such as fruits and vegetables, dairy products, whole grain products, and fish. That kind of relates to what you were saying about the sweet tasting where people who are sweet tasters probably are eating more fruits and vegetables and, you know, because they're going to gravitate towards that type of food.
2: Well, I gravitate towards all that really good food just with plenty of added fat now. You know, in the past, back in, you know, when I was obese, I was eating the ultra-processed higher-fat foods. But now I'm going to have, you know, potatoes that are tossed in, like potato wedges tossed in olive oil baked in the oven. That's not a low-fat food. It's also not a low-carb food, but it's a healthy fat. It's a healthy carb. It's real food. But it is... Certainly, it's both fatty, carby, and salty.
0: Yeah. So, shall we jump into questions for today? Yes. Okay. So, we have a question from Carrie, and the subject is not losing, but gaining SOS. And Carrie says, hi, Jen and Melanie. That's an interesting way to spell your name. You probably get all different.
2: Well, I do. I do. This one is J-I-N, and I don't. Know that I've gotten that one very often. I get J E N because sometimes people think it's like Jennifer, but it's Jen for Virginia, like Jen and Tonic. So that's actually how you spell it in case anyone wondered.
0: So she says, I have been doing IF for the past year on and off, but regularly the past two months. I tend to stick to a 24 window, but sometimes do a 22 or 23 hour fast when the days are busy or an occasional 15 or 16 hour fast if I am at an event or a race. When I first started doing IF, it was to help me with binge eating, especially at night. And it was worse at first, actually. I was binging all the time, but now I feel more in control with the fast and make sure I eat a giant salad or a delicious vegetable dish before I even think of anything sweet. My weakness is always the sweets, cakes, cookies, you name it. This is appropriate. This is what we were just talking about. But again, all those foods are also very high fat.
2: Cakes and cookies (laughs) are sweet and fat.
0: So true. She says, sometimes if I bike 40 plus miles or run 10 miles, I will tell myself I deserve the goodies and it usually ends in a binge of chocolate covered peanuts and cakes or donuts. However, now that I feel I have a handle on the fasting part, I am not losing any weight, but sometimes even gaining weight. When I started getting more strict with the fasting longevity in February, I was 135 pounds and now I'm in the 140s. I'm 5'4 and 22 years old and have an athletic build under all the chub. I love working out. I am kind of a cardio junkie with swimming, biking, and running. When I was in high school, I weighed 115 and was captain of the swim team, and I really hoped to be able to get to at least 125 pounds with IF. I used to be able to run eight to 10 miles, no problem, a few months ago, but now it's like my body does not have the energy that it used to. Anyways, my questions for you two lovely ladies is why am I not losing weight and how can I fix this? I clean fast, only black coffee and water. I do need to take a probiotic, B12, vitamin D, and a fiber supplement in the morning for my ulcerative colitis, and I am a vegetarian, and I don't consume too much dairy. On a normal day, I consume 1,500 to 2,000 calories. Should I cut calories? Should I fast more? I know Jen mentions she lost the most weight when she was doing ADF with a 5-2 pattern. That's actually not true. I don't know where that came from because it's not, I did not,
2: (laughs) No. Do you want to talk about that now? I'm just popping in there to say we can just say that is not when I lost the most weight. I lost the most weight when I was doing a one meal a day pattern with delaying all processed foods and alcohol. That is where I lost the most weight. Like five two with ADF was never the weight. I never lost weight with a five two ADF pattern. I did lose some weight with a four three ADF pattern, but at two down days wasn't enough for me. I needed
0: three. So anyway, I'm just popping that in there. Okay. So I wonder why she thinks that. Okay. She says, I want to try this, but I am scared to. Should I work out more less? All the questions, please help. Also as a side note to give you ladies as much information, I have experimented with all the fad weight loss hacks like apple cider vinegar and garcinia cambogia, my fair share of weight loss pills all throughout high school and college, even some hydroxy cut and energy patches that are supposed to help appetite. I've always struggled with my self-image and thought I was fat when I was in high school. So now all this chub on my stomach and arms and legs is really making me upset and depressed. I'm at a loss and I really am struggling with liking the way my body looks now that I am the fattest I have ever been. I love the podcast and listen to it while I am running and biking. Please help, Carrie.
2: All right, Carrie. there's a lot to unpack here. First of all... I wanna talk about the fact that you've just been doing this regularly for two months. So you're still in very early days. That's really important to know. So you're two months in, that's important. Also, I wanna talk about the binging that you mentioned. When you first started, you were having trouble with binging and you were actually binging a lot at first. We actually find before people are fat adapted, their body is not you know, really assessing fuel efficiently during the fast. So you're underfueled. And so you are going to, when you open your window, be more likely to binge. We see that all the time with people in the adjustment phase. So keep that in mind. But after you're past the adjustment phase, if you start feeling the urge to binge, that is linked to not fueling your body well enough for what you're doing you're over restricting in one way or another and it sounds like you know how you just mentioned in this question if you bike 40 plus miles or run 10 miles you end with a binge and and you're framing it as that it's because you're weak because you said i tell myself i deserve the goodies and then it ends in a binge actually i want you to flip that it's not because you're deserving the goodies or you're weak it's because you just biked 40 miles or ran 10 miles and your body is like, help me, I need more fuel. So I want everybody to really get out of your way when it comes to what a binge is telling you. It is not telling you there's something wrong with you. It's a sign that you're not fueling your body well. Now, again, at the very beginning, when you first start IF, you're not fueling your body well because your body is not well-fueled during the fast. But, Once you become fat adapted, your body should tap into your fat stores. This is assuming you're fasting clean. Your body should tap into your fat stores well. You'll feel much better. You should not be binging. If after you're adapted, you are still seeing a lot of binging kind of behavior, ask yourself, am I over-restricting in my eating window? Or am I over-exercising? Now, you said you're only eating 1,500 to 2,000 calories, but you're a cardio junkie with swimming, biking, and running. It sounds to me you might be underfueling your body even day to day. Please don't cut calories or fast more. That is not what I would recommend. I actually think you might want to try a little something more gentle with your working out. And again, you're only two months in. You know, in Fast Feast Repeat, I talk about the 28-day fast start, not to expect any weight loss at all. So you're one month past that. So it also sounds to me like the way that you phrased it, you said, I am not losing any weight, but sometimes even gaining weight, makes it sound to me like you're putting a lot of focus on fluctuations. Not losing weight, but sometimes gaining over a two-month period. That's just what weight does. It goes up, it goes down. You fluctuate. So I want you to take some time to pull out a copy of Fast Feast Repeat, listen to it, Get it if you don't have it. And I want you to read the scale schmail chapter or listen to it. And I want you to have a well-rounded plan for how you're gonna track your progress. Because if you get on the scale and the weight is up, That doesn't mean you just, you know, quote, gained weight. You know, technically, yes, it does mean you just gained weight because it's up on the scale. But it might be inflammation from your muscle use. It might be water retention. It's not fat gain is what I'm saying. So you need to have a strategy for looking at what your trend is doing over time. Weighing daily, calculating your weekly average, an app like Happy Scale that'll do that for you. I want you to take progress photos today put on like your workout clothes, take photos from the front, from the side, from the back. And then I want you to look at those every, you're taking new photos, maybe every three weeks or something like that. Same outfit every time and really compare. Because especially with the amount of working out that you're doing, you might see your body shrinking in the photos, but the scale is actually continuing to go up with all you know the muscle building you might be doing, especially at the age of 22. But I want you to really, really think about not overdoing it. Like it really sounds to me like you're you're fasting a lot and working out a lot. And so you may need a more gentle approach. You need to nourish your body and take the sign of wanting to binge as an alarm sign and say, okay, this is telling me I need to nourish my body more or I need to work out less. That's really, really important. I think I got it all. Oh, I had one other thing. I did forget something. The probiotic and the fiber supplement, I would recommend those in your eating window. I understand that you have colitis and that you need to take the fiber, but I would just move it to open your eating window instead of having it in the fasted state.
0: I agree. Yes, I thought that was all great. So I think, Carrie, well, first of all, I really empathize with you with feeling I mean, it's interesting because when i when I first started reading the beginning of it, it sounded like you were looking back to your high school time as a time when you were happy with your weight. But then at the end, you revealed that you felt uncomfortable in your body this entire time, which is a long time to not be happy with your body. and what's interesting about that is it says to me that the piece here. Yes, some of it might come from losing the weight, but the fact that you felt this way, even when you were, because in high school, you weighed 10 pounds less than what you want to weigh now, but you weren't happy then with your weight either. So I think there's a huge, huge reframe that can happen that is not even dependent on your weight. And that's going to be something that, I mean, I would suggest looking into mindset practices or working with a therapist. Um, I am a huge, huge proponent of working with therapists for, for everything. Just a really quick tangent about that, Jen. Do you think this is based on like where you live? I guess like the stigma around therapists. Do you think that's still a thing today more? I don't know.
2: It might be age more than anything. I'm not really sure. Like maybe older people feel more of a stigma. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about it because I've had a therapist since 2014. I've had a a few different ones because I've moved around, but it's just such a normal, like it's so helpful for me. And it's just wonderful to have that space where you can, just, you know, discuss all of these things and reframe in a non-judgmental, safe atmosphere. But it was just funny because I was, I was going to my, did I mention this on the podcast already? I was going to, to cryotherapy the other day and I mentioned that I had just come from a therapy session and, and her response made it seem like I was like, she was like, oh, like, I hope everything's okay. Like it made it seem like I was going for like something like traumatic that had happened. I was like, no, I just, this is what I just go It's like part of my, my daily life. That was a tangent. Point being, I think that could be something that could be really helpful for your body image and all of that stuff. Another reframe I think you can do, and this is what Jen sort of talked about, like with the binging, for example, it can come from, like Jen said, your body is begging or screaming. I don't know what words you used, but for nutrition. So a huge reframe that you can have there is probably right now, I don't know, but probably since your experience your habitual experience of having this this signal from your body like this binge feeling it sounds like the way you respond to that in the past is with sweets and cakes and cookies so you've created this association in your head that when i get this really hungry bingy feeling the solution or what i will do on autopilot is sweets cakes cookies Have you tried when you have this feeling to like look to the abundance of foods that you could have instead of sweets, cakes, and cookies? Because you might find that there's actually nothing to fear with this feeling that you get because you actually can nourish yourself and you actually can eat all you want. And it doesn't have to be these foods that will make you feel not so good in the end, like these processed foods. So I don't think it can be overstated, right? Overstated the importance of that's right. I don't think it can be overstated the importance of protein. So if you weren't vegetarian, what I would have said, so for anybody else experiencing this, I would have said really, really focusing on animal protein. So chicken, steak, fish, things like that. I think that can really, really help with hunger. There's especially something we've talked about a lot, which is the protein leverage hypothesis, which is basically that your body will, you will feel hungry until you satisfy your protein needs. I talk about it with Ted Neiman and William Schufeld, who actually, they were on this show too, weren't they? Yes, they were. Ted Neiman was not. Oh, it was just William on this show? Right. Okay. So we've had William on this show, and then I've had William and Ted Neiman. Oh, they came on together
2: to your show? Yeah. He was—I don't think we've ever—well, no, I take that back. Did we have Wade Lightheart and his partner on at the same time? We did. Yeah. Okay. I can never think of his name. Matt Gallant. Matt. But other than that, I don't think we've ever had four four of us on this one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'll put links in the show notes— to the one on my show with Ted Naiman and William Shufelt because we, I really like Ted's book. It's called, I think, The PE Diet, but it's about basically this idea of the importance of protein. So you're a vegetarian. So I am wondering what your main protein sources are. And I would turn to them in the beginning of your meal when you're having these post-workout meals or even your your meal situation that you're in. So yes. So upping the protein, I think could be really, really helpful. And also another reframe is it can feel, especially if you've had this experience in the past of not being happy and responding to these urges with binges, you can feel destined to repeat that, but you are not. And every single day, Instead of being scared of it as another day where things might get worse or you might gain weight or you might binge, what if you reframe that every single day you have newfound knowledge that maybe you didn't have in the past? And so every day can be a step towards something better. Like I think you can feel really, really empowered, especially since, like Jen said, the focus we don't think shouldn't be on, it's not a restrictive Answer. So it's not cutting calories. It's not exercising more. It's not fasting more. It's providing your body with nutrition, which is actually a state of abundance. So the solution here is actually abundance, not restriction, which is very exciting. I feel like that was all over the place. Well, I really agree
2: with your recommendation for more protein because that's very true as well. You know, your body sends you that signal.
0: I I very much believe that protein leverage hypothesis to be true. I really do. Yeah. Even just for me, like in of one, I am starving if I don't get enough protein. I was actually thinking about this during that study. I wish that they had had umami as one of the the tastes. So people who really like, like umami and like the protein. I love umami. I do too. Like that's my thing. And like the protein is my thing. So I think I'm much more aware of how satiating protein is for me. But I think if I didn't naturally gravitate towards a high protein diet, I wonder if I would fall into this state where I wouldn't necessarily turn to protein. So I would just feel perpetually hungry. Well, I eat less protein than you. I don't crave it as much as you do.
2: Like I don't eat as much meat as you do. But sometimes my body directs me to want more meat.
0: My body does let me know when I think back. Yeah. I wonder if, so for vegetarians and vegans, I wonder if they naturally gravitate towards when they get protein cravings, like, I wonder if it appears as a similar food. Like, I wonder if it's like legumes and beans or if it's like soy, how that craving manifests. Yeah, I don't know.
2: For me, when it's it's a really strong protein craving, it is meat. Me too. Me too. (laughs) That's why I'm super curious. I had a great burger last night. It was Green Chef, by the way, one of our sponsors. It was so good. But it was so good. It was a burger with Monterey Jack, and then it had like, Those potatoes that I was talking about, sliced potatoes tossed in olive oil, roasted in the oven, so
0: good. Now I'm getting hungry, too. I know. Now I'm
2: really hungry. Sometimes I just really love some red meat. It's funny, around our table, Will doesn't like a ton of meat. Chad doesn't like a ton of meat. Cal is practically a vegetarian because his wife is a vegetarian. So Cal will eat meat, but they don't eat meat at home. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't really eat it at all, just rarely, but... It's interesting that we've all kind of just naturally gravitated that way.
0: I think I'm really the only, like, huge meat eater in my family.
2: And what's your blood type? Oh, see, I C. I don't think blood type is the whole thing, but there's some kind of connection there. Something. We're all A. And, you know, I don't think blood type is, it's not quite as simple as eat right for your type. But we're all A, and A is supposed to, like, not need as much meat. And O is associated with needing more meat. So... <laughs> I don't know that everything they say is right but that sure seems to be on the money
0: for a lot of people. A lot of it might be the um the stomach acid correlation to to typo.
2: That could really that makes a lot of sense just because you know if I eat too much meat it feels like it sits like a rock in my stomach. And that's the same way that you know everyone else in my family feels too. That's why you you naturally just don't want to eat too much of it because it doesn't feel good to overeat it. It is a question though
0: of chicken and egg with that, even like do people who are typo, like, is there something? in then that needs more meat. So they have higher stomach acid or do they have higher stomach acid? So they naturally just do better with more meat. I don't know, but in any case, Carrie, we are sending you lots of love. We think you can do it. There's a lot of potential. And I think a lot of just reframes on the situation can be very helpful here. Any other thoughts from you, Jen?
2: I think we covered it. There was a lot going on in that question.
0: So we have a question from Danielle. That is my sister's name. Why isn't, if it's good for us, is it not for our babies? Contradicting advice. That is a interesting title. Danielle says, hey, ladies, love the podcast. I'm currently binging all of your episodes. What a great duo you are. I've jumped on the IF train, mostly interested in the health benefits as I have chronic disease, mild, and giving my gut a break is so good for it. I'm studying herbs and started listening to a new podcast called What's the Juice that focuses a lot on educating us about the lymphatic system. I love it. But in the first episode, she addresses IF and her opinion on it. She makes the statement, would you have your baby fast until 2 p.m.? And they talked about science reasons for why it's not good to fast for long periods. It made me start thinking, and I was wondering what your opinion is about this.
2: Can we answer that part now? Yes. That is just really not a good analogy at all that this host used on this other podcast, because I want you to think about how babies eat naturally you know, I don't know, my babies like to wake up every two hours and eat in the middle of the night. When Cal was a baby, like I swear for the first four and a half months of his life, he ate every two hours around the clock because they're building a body. So you would never fast a baby because that's, they need constant fuel. They need, they're they're growing, they're building, but we're adults. And so for adults, it's, a whole different thing. I'm not trying to grow a body or build a whole new body. Here I am. I don't want to grow anymore. You know, cuz we're we're not growing as a society physically bigger as far as like, you know, getting taller like children do. We we are growing horizontally. If you look at society, people are gaining weight because we're eating too much. So, it's just it's not a really good analogy to compare how a baby needs to eat with how an adult needs to eat because it's completely different. You got a completely different goal there. We're trying to keep our bodies nourished as adults and you know eat the nutrients that our bodies need to function we want to eat sufficient protein to maintain muscle mass that sort of thing nourish our bodies but we don't need to eat around the clock if we if we ate every 2 hours around the clock how big would we get it would not be good so not a good analogy good try lady on the other podcast
0: on the flip side you could say why aren't we eating like babies then we're not having breast milk and we're not eating a baby diet
2: you can't compare how a baby eats to how an adult eats. In fact, that's the what I like to say whenever someone's like, well, how do I tell my children that I'm fasting but it's not good for them? I'm like, well, you just say because you're not growing anymore. You know, Growing bodies need to eat differently than bodies that are already grown. So I think that's really important to know. And I, you know, when people start throwing away how, you know, quote, it's, you know, not good to fast for long periods, depends on what you mean by long periods. Obviously, there is a period of time that it's too long to fast for. But it sounds like they think 2pm is too long. When I look at the people who are scientists in the field who have studied this, who have studied fasting, and like Dr. Mark Mattson that I've talked about before, and I had a guy Gosh, Gil Blander, was he from Inside Tracker? Mm-hmm. I had him on Intermittent Fasting Stories. He's a longevity expert. And he said, "He okay, this is a longevity expert. And he said, the number one best thing you can do for your body for longevity is intermittent fasting. So when these people are saying things like that, these hardcore research scientists who have studied longevity, the brain works, and really understand intermittent fasting, I don't feel the need to then go out and defend intermittent fasting to someone who has some sort of opinion that they think it isn't good. Because I'm going to trust the scientists who studied it and are doing it. That's all I have to say about that. So I am giving you permission, Danielle, to stop listening to the naysayers
0: and do what feels good to your body. That's really all you need to know. I don't want to say anything unkind, but especially if it's a, that analogy or that comparison just doesn't make sense. Like it just doesn't make much sense.
2: There were some analogies someone gave about a car one time and like how you needed to keep fueling your car. And I'm like, you don't stop every 20 miles and put more gas in. No, you fill it up and then you drive. I'm like, that is such a bad analogy. When someone's making really bad analogies, it's like they don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> That's what I think. So no, please do not make your baby fast till 2 p.m. That is bad. <laughs> but you are not a baby. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Now the rest of her question.
0: So the rest, she says, the second episode also addresses this and her guest, I believe a neuropath doctor also suggests that 13 hours overnight is good, but extreme fasting is bad because going too long can spike cortisol, et cetera. I'm confused. Thoughts keep up the good work, ladies.
2: And again, this sounds like it's somebody who doesn't think you should fast for more than 13 hours. So- if you listen to all the contradictory voices that are out there about any topic, you're going to get so confused you don't know if you should fast for 16 hours or eat every 2 hours around the clock and then you're going to I mean you you can really get confused because no matter what anybody says about health, someone is saying the 180 degree opposite literally about everything when it comes to health. So If you're really interested in the health benefits of intermittent fasting, you need to really immerse yourself in podcasts and books and experts who explain those to you. And I would avoid the naysayers. And then you need to tune into your own body. Because I actually agree with something that that guest said, that extreme fasting is, quote, bad. But I would disagree with the definition of extreme fasting. You know, maybe this, this naturopathic doctor has experience working with patients who are over-fasting, over-exercising, and over-restricting. And in that case, you know, if you're fasting 16 hours, which I wouldn't consider extreme because I fast more than that almost every single day, but I also nourish my body well in my eating window. But if I were doing ultra-marathons and fasting 16 hours a day and then eating little tiny diet meals in an eight-hour eating window... 16 hours would be too much fasting, but it's not so much because it's 16, it's because of everything else. So 16 could be extreme fasting if you are not nourishing your body well and overly working out versus 24 is not extreme if then you nourish your body well in your eating window. It's all got to be in context. So we don't really know what this doctor, you know, what this background it's coming from, but it's true that over restriction is not good for our bodies. But to think that fasting is coupled with over-restriction is, I think, the flaw in the
0: thinking. Exactly. Context is so, so important. And I think we actually talked about this last episode. You talked about cortisol. You sure did. and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Yeah, so basically it's a stress hormone. We often think about it. It has a really bad reputation. Like people think, oh, cortisol is bad. We never want cortisol, which is just not even true. It's not a bad hormone really no hormones are bad or good. They all have a purpose and they all need to be in the right context. And so cortisol is something, for example, that naturally spikes in the morning. We want that spike. That's actually a reason that people often get high blood sugars in the morning. It's the the dawn effect and a spike in cortisol. But cortisol has a natural rhythm throughout the day it can go up in fasting, but the context is important. So cortisol in a fasted state actually helps us burn fat. So it actually releases fatty acids and helps us burn them. So we shouldn't be scared of cortisol. Cortisol in the context of eating makes us more likely to store fat. So that's why it's really important to not eat in a stressed out state, to you know, have a I mean, even like a ritual surrounding eating where you're in a, I don't want to say like a meditative state, but we don't want to be just like eating on the go and in a stressed out state. So fasting can actually help you have a really healthy relationship with cortisol where you have higher cortisol during the day, you're burning fat. And then, well, I'm assuming right now that you're doing like a a one meal day situation, but regardless of the window, you're, you have cortisol higher when you're fasting, you're burning fat. And then when you're eating, you're in more of a rest and digest, a lower cortisol state. The actual specifics of it is cortisol can make you preferentially store fat in your as visceral fat in your belly if it's high while you're eating. So misconceptions surrounding cortisol.
2: So many, and people just say it like it's fact. Fact, exactly. So again, I just want to just reframe this, Daniel, one more time. You need to listen to your own body and how you feel. If fasting, as you get adjusted, you know, again, get through the adjustment period. If you find yourself feeling better and better over time, trust that. You know, if you're doing something that's bad for your body, you're not going to feel better and better and better over time. So trust how you're feeling. You really can do that. Don't let the, the other voices get inside your head from people who are giving the advice like, oh yeah, you shouldn't fast.
0: You know, what's your body telling you? Exactly. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 263. And then you can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon, Jen Jen Stevens. And I think that is all the things.
2: Yep. Great episode. Five years.
0: I know. Crazy. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. Theme music by Leland Cox. See you next week.